Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis and I am joined by Mr. Doug Battle, the general. That's me. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. So, Doug, this uh, let's do a short episode this week. It is September 21st, so we are coming into this just the moments after week two of the NFL season. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, and also the NBA playoffs continue. My observation from this weekend is that, and, and I think this is largely an ESPN situation where ESPN has invested pretty heavily over the last decade in statisticians and data. And all the broadcasts, all the highlights, everything is now full of numbers. And as an analytics guy, I, I, I've got to love this stuff. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of numbers, and um, you can tell me wh- where these numbers are from following the last weekend, okay? okay? You can guess. All right, I'll do my best. An 80% success rate. A 27.5% success rate and a 10% success rate. And folks, he's going into this cold. So this is uh this is not fair, but we'll see how he does. 80% success rate. The Okay, I'll give you that one. The Cowboys. Cam tra- Newton scoring first oh, and goal. First last and, play of the game. First and goal. Okay. Um and then our next one was 27%. 27 and a half. Um 27 and a half. I'm going to go the Lakers' chances of, of hitting a game winner down two against the Nuggets or down one. Perfect. So oh, did I get it? To hit, to hit a shot from that distance with uh, the defender, you know, within a couple of feet, a contested three point shot from that distance, 27 and a half percent. Nice. What's next? What do we got? Well, we have the 10 percent. 10 percent. I'm going to say Cowboys. Chances going into the fourth quarter against the Falcons. Close. The onside kick recovery. Okay. The so I got the game kicking right. team. The kicking team recovers those about 10% of the time. Wow. Okay. So I did pretty well. I'm pretty. You did great. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so, so for me, th- th- these kind of numbers are great because th- they highlight something special about sports and something special about fandom in general. And 
They also highlight something about analytics and where this stuff tends to go. I mean, even when you mentioned the 27.5% attributed that to the Lakers, it is, you know, this expected success rate on that shot, they do consider things like the the distance of the shot and where the defender is if it's a contested shot. So you, you can see, imagine how we go from, let's say, raw numbers in the case of the onside kick being recovered about 10% of the time mm-hmm. to some, uh, an analytics-based advanced statistic of expected field goal percentage in terms of Anthony Davis. So this wonderful situation where numbers are continually infiltrating uh, sports and in fact some statistical models behind the scene couldn't make me happier now my observation though and this is where i want to sort of direct the conversation today is what is the impact of these events in terms of in terms of fandom um, and i know that's that's fairly general but what is the impact why are these big stories so what's your take um, and you can take any of the three. Yeah, so we'll, I'll I'll stick with uh, we'll go with AD Lakers Nuggets game winner. Um, first off, game winning shot. There's nothing better in basketball than a buzzer beater. That's kind of what every kid grows up dreaming of. And so for Anthony Davis, who's kind of the new face of the Lakers, with LeBron passing the torch in a way. Um, of course, right now they're both the face of the Lakers, but Anthony seems like he's there. He's going to be there for the long haul, and for him to make that shot kind of cemented him in Lakers history among the Lakers fandom as as one of the greats. Um, and so, can I ask you? Can I ask you a follow up in that? Sure. Is that where star power comes from? Is there anything that is better for creating stars than the buzzer beater? Um, it's hard to beat a buzzer beater. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, of course, you know, you look at James Harden putting up crazy points per game, assists per game, triple doubles, and, and the rest. I think championships are clearly key to star power. Um, we've seen that with, with some guys like even Kawhi Leonard, maybe his stats don't pop off the sheet as much as James Harden, but he's widely regarded as the better player. Uh, the one thing he has over a player like Harden is championships and playoff success. So I think, yeah, I think absolutely. I also think with this one from a storyline perspective, the Lakers were wearing their black Mamba jerseys and uh, Anthony Davis yelled out Kobe <laughs> after he he hit the shot. And so it kind of uh, tied him to obviously one of the great Lakers of all time, one of the great basketball players of all time who passed this year uh, in tragic fashion. And so for Anthony Davis to do that, obviously for for the Lakers fandom, uh, he, he just became even more of of a Laker. He's no longer regarded as like a mercenary player. He's He is a Los Angeles Laker legend now. So this is perhaps the most dramatic moment in basketball, and I, I think it's uh, it is the most dramatic moment in basketball. So this is where uh, I, I love the choice of words, where the stories or where the narratives are created, mm-hmm. and I think you're alluding to it that this. I mean, so these are kind of a focal point. So you can have a guy filling up the the stat sheet, but these are singular moments that everyone remembers where they where they were when they saw them go down that we can also probably put some stuff around this stuff, right? So uh, buzzer beater in the playoffs, 
you know, deeper into the playoffs going into the championship, more dramatic than hitting a buzzer beater to beat Charlotte in mid-February most years, right? Um, so the, the, the stakes of the, when the, when the stakes are higher, when it's contested, I think all these things build into you know, these, these kind of issues of stardom. And, and I think you're dead on. They're wearing the Kobe uniform. He yells Kobe. It's, um, it is something that is going to be iconic for this run of the, well, my guess is it's going to be iconic for this iteration of the Lakers team, which will become, I think, really recognized as LeBron and uh, AD's time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you think about it on the other side, it can be interesting. Look at the Nuggets. They could have been tied up 1-1. How crushing is that to lose in that fashion when you feel like you fought your heart out to win a game uh, against the overdog, the higher seed Lakers? Um, and for a, a fandom like the Nuggets, it's it's got to be an interesting case study because you look teams like this, it just seems like historically always played the role of Decent competition, put up a good fight, just good enough for a team like the Lakers to have something epic and movie-like happen. Where all along, we knew it was the Lakers. I mean, I think anyone will be surprised if we don't see a Lakers-Celtics finals. And I know the Celtics are still down in that series. But if we saw a Nuggets, a Denver Nuggets versus Miami Heat finals this year, um, you know, it would be a shock to everyone because that, in, ultimately teams like this Heat team without as much star power as, as maybe in the past and this Nuggets team with Jokic being the best player, but they center more of their marketing around uh, Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr. Um, they play the role of the of the decent, you know, opponent that, that is just kind of there to get buzzer beaters scored on. Am I wrong? It does feel like they're playing a role that they're they're the supporting cast to move the to move the storyline along. I, and I, I agree with you. If the Lakers are not in, I, I I'm I'm going to be a little ambivalent about uh, the Heat versus the Celtics. But if the Lakers are not in the finals at this point, I'd be shocked, shocked, shocked. Right? It's, it's hard to imagine that happening. Now, along the. Uh, when you when you started this as saying sort of the the flip side of it and how does it feel to lose in that fashion yeah i think that's uh sitting here in atlanta and uh, talk about numbers the number that they're putting out there is that this is the first time in nfl history <sighs> that a team scored 39 points with zero turnovers and lost the game on top of it <sighs> To basically have an onside kick where there's about a 10% success rate for the team, for the for the kicking team, brutal. And, and so what is, you know, sort of brutal and, and potentially br- terrible in, in a couple of ways. One, so if if making the last second shot off balance, falling, falling into the, the falling into the bench, closely guarded, if that's what creates star power, is losing in that kind of fashion something that essentially turns a team or a coach into a dog and has a long-term detrimental effect on can the Falcons recover from something like that? Well, can Dan Quinn recover? <laughs> we've st- we've still been deciding if the Falcons can recover from 28 to 3, right? A few years back in the exactly. Super Bowl and it seems like those kinds of moments define a team and they're hard to recover from. We saw it. 
uh, for the longest time with Clemson. It was known as Clemsoning in in college football, blowing a game. And now I've heard that term with with Georgia, Georgia ing. Um, after Georgia lost the national championship, they've had a number of heartbreaking and noteworthy heartbreaking losses and big games. And there's this perception that they just can't do it. And Falcons fans, I know several of them living here in Georgia, um, and, and they're always like, wasn't that so Fal- – that was so Atlanta Falcons. Like, that was on brand. That was consistent with what we expect of the Atlanta Falcons to be, like, the best team to ever – not win anything significant uh, to put up all these yards, not turn the ball over and, and lose a game uh, to a team like the Cowboys. And of course it's the Cowboys, you know, the America's team, like anyone, I I saw a tweet from a friend of mine who covers Georgia sports who said, if you're a Falcons fan and you weren't expecting to lose by one point this entire game, you have not been a Falcons fan for long. This is what the Falcons have come to expect. And that's what I'm saying. You know, it's the same thing to me with, team like the Nuggets um, in in the Western Conference Finals. It's like this is kind of their role in things. They the Falcons play the really good team that that is just kind of there so that the other team can have an epic comeback. (laughs) And uh, the Nuggets play the role of I mean, same kind of thing. The really good team that that's a tough test for LeBron that proves that he's one of the or maybe proves to his fans that he's the best in the world. The fact that he can beat them and uh, maybe with ease. Yeah, I love a couple of things you said in there on brand. So the Falcons brand is to come up short in tragic fashion. Ouch. The other one is this this idea of the the role of the opponents um, that and I, I feel like I'm I'm inferring what you're getting at that's like some teams are meant to be headliners yep. iconic Lakers Alabama and some team are some teams are meant to be opponents that um, changing the topic just a little bit you know the Big Ten has decided to play I yep. believe uh, an eight game season correct. Eight game season, yeah, that's that's one of the crazy things that happened in this last week that just kind of went unnoticed. And one of the things that I think has happened in college football, definitely over time, is let's say winning has become concentrated. And yet we think, yeah, the Cowboys might be a team that gets to be a, a leader, a, a, a sort of a lead actor, yeah. a protagonist. Uh, the Lakers, same thing. That in college football, I, I think we've we've seen that shift to where because of the the way the the league is organized, um, where there aren't things to maintain competitive balance, that a lot of teams truly do are, are slotted to play to play roles, where you know, and in the Big Ten, you know, the Indianas and the Illinois are very much almost by destiny now going to be opponents versus the Ohio states and perhaps the Michigans. And, and I think that's probably true across almost all of the major conferences at this point. Yeah. And I think when you're one of those teams or when you're in the fan base of one of those teams, the best role your team can play is the Cinderella story, the upset. Um, typically in college football, it'd be a one game upset. I remember, uh, you know, Appalachian state, for example, over Michigan uh, we, we've seen upsets like that over the years. It's more rare in college football than college basketball, which is part of what makes college basketball especially fun for some of those mid-major schools because they get to play that role more often. Um, but 
like you said, it's it's difficult to move from that role into the headliner. And that's something uh, that we've seen it's possible. We've seen it with Clemson in football. They were kind of that team for a while, that uh, good team that other teams be in close games, and they were kind of known for that. Um, and then at some point they, they caught a break and broke through, and now they kind of have a reputation as, as the Bama Slayer. So you can break through, and that's what every fan's ultimately pulling for in their team. It's it's one of the fascinating things about sports, and you can break through in college. Now, the what it takes to break through is probably something that's not totally observed by the fans, right? I think if you look at if you look at the correlation between winning at college football and investment in those programs, mm-hmm. you see a very very strong correlation. So, I mean, yeah, I think little... to break through, what you've got to do is you've got to catch lightning in a bottle, right? You've got to find a I'll pick on my team here for a moment. Nick Saban is not going to go coach the Illini. You know, no. so you need to find the up and coming coach that happens to have the you know, that happens to be something special and you also need the university to devote the resources to making the team into a top notch program. I think one of the one of the things you realize when you pay a lot of attention to college football is, wow, there are differences in terms of what these programs look like in terms of facilities and fan passion. And so it is a, it's a, it's quite the journey, but it is probably possible in, in college to, to move up the rankings. It's interesting to me when it doesn't happen as much for some, let's say teams in the pros where you do have structures and in place that should have the the league almost look more of an up and down of you're great for a while and then you sink back down um patriots are a good example of how you can avoid that for decades the the last thing i want to talk about today is so this is a strange world of sports and you know we are in this realm now where suddenly everyone is playing we didn't even touch on major league baseball um, there was a local Major League Baseball story here uh, within the last week, which is the Atlanta Braves are likely to make the. I don't. I don't believe they've clinched a playoff spot yet, but they're likely to make the the playoffs. So while the Braves are having a very solid season on the field, they also announced pretty significant layoffs to the front office staff. This is not surprising, and it's something. It's a story that we're going to see unfolding across the world of sports for. You know, who knows, perhaps over the next couple of seasons, uh, what COVID-19 has done has caused a real disruption to the world of sports. And so the Braves, for the period before they started playing, I I think revenues were down something about 95 Mm percent. And so something has got to something's got to break or at least bend. And this is going to happen throughout the college sports world as, as well that maybe these organizations have to, well, they definitely have to probably shrink in the near term. Question becomes, are they going to be quickly regrown to where they were at before? So this issue of disruption is something we're going to see play out across sports, like I said, for who knows how long. Something I want to highlight that we're doing in conjunction with the Marketing Analytics Center at Emory is we have a webinar series that is ongoing this fall. Uh, We're going to release an episode with uh, Todd Harris, the CEO of Skillshot Media, later this week 
where Todd's going to give you really the a great overview of the world of esports, um, fast growing, the fastest growing sector or category of sports. Todd's going to give you some great insight into where that at all, where that's all going. Um, our next speaker on the agenda is Mohamed Masakoy, uh, one of the favorite sons of the Georgia Bulldogs. Right, Doug? Yeah, Mohamed is a uh, a legend in Athens, Georgia. Um, played some NFL ball, had him on my fantasy team a while back. So there's some NFL fans with uh, with some love for Mohammed as well. But uh, he's going to be joining us for our second episode, or our second uh, part in, in our Fanalytics speaker series that we're doing in webinar format for you all. This is something that traditionally uh, would be through an in-person conference, but now it's more available, and uh, we, we welcome you all to join us. And Mohammed is really an almost ideal speaker for the world of 2020. So Mohammed, and he'll tell this story, had his career perhaps cut short. Definitely his life changed in very dramatic fashion following, I, I believe it was an ATV accident. And so he has rebuilt himself, retooled himself, adapted to a, a very dramatic disruption and now goes out there and talks about dealing with disruption and dealing with change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, please look for that. We'll include uh, sign-up information at the, the, in the text at the bottom of the podcast, but definitely something to look forward to. So with that, Doug, I'm going to say, and I'm going to probably say this a lot um, in terms of looking forward, and I know it's way too early, but they are going to play. So I'm going to give my first shout-out, go Illini, get back to practicing. Go dogs. Two last things, uh, last word for me here. Uh, part of the reason we love sports is that while analytics are so much a part of it, uh, the odds are often beat. And yesterday, uh, entering yesterday, teams were 440 and zero when scoring 39 points with zero turnovers since 1933. Um, and that's when turnovers were first tracked. And they are now, there's now one loss in that column. It goes to the Atlanta Falcons. Another stat that goes against them is the Falcons had a 99.9% win probability, according to ESPN metrics, when the Cowboys started their possession, trailing 39 to 30 with less than three minutes left. Um, so again, stats and analytics are fun. They help the sport, but it's also especially fun, uh, when the odds are beaten. Go dogs.